Initialize sequence. Yo, what up? This is Prozac. This is Shaq's too dope from Insane Cloud Posse. Yeah, this is Reese. Yo, this be the one them called Tech Nine. What's up? This is Mad Child. This is your boy Spider-Man, a.k.a. Brother Lynch. Huh? Jared from Head P.E. Yo, what up? This is Hop. My name is Recognized. This is Boondock. Yo, this is Blazy Dale, homie. Welcome to the Underground, Australia's home of underground music. The 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff Australian Tour is heading our way in June this year and we are lucky enough to have the man himself on the line. Eric, how are you? I'm doing great. Better than I, actually better than I deserve to be doing. Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, after everything that I've been through for the last, I don't know, 64 years, 30 years in the <laughs> professional wrestling industry... The fact that I'm still standing, walking and talking and my liver still functions amazes me every day. (laughs) I like that, man. Well, you were indeed the king of the Monday Night Wars for 83 weeks, Eric. And I wanted to know, I wanted to kick things off. Why do you think people are still so curious about what went down, even though it's close to 18 years ago now? I think, you know, for a couple of reasons. I think, number one, most people would recognize or would agree that the, the, the era of the Monday Night Wars, which is the mid-90s through 2000, that five-year period of time was probably the most exciting period of time in the wrestling industry for the last couple of generations. And it's never been quite that exciting since. And I think most people recognize that. And, they, and deep down inside, they want to know why. And I think that's one of the reasons why the podcast, 83 Weeks, does so well. That's one of the reasons why our live events is so much fun. Because we dig into the details. And we kind of get behind the curtain. And we talk about the business of the wrestling business. And, and the strategies and the tactics at a level and in a depth that people haven't really heard before. But I think the other part of it is, you know, so many things changed during that period of time. If you go back and you look at the WWF, for example, and you look at the Monday Night Raw shows, you know, in 93, 94, 95, and then when Nitro came along in 95, and then the NWO came along in 96, it changed everything. And it forced the WWF, now WWE, to adapt to what we were doing. They had to throw out their own formula, which was a wrestling show that was really designed for young children. Mm. And they had to learn how to do what we were doing, which was a more reality-based, more action-based. We told our stories in different parts of the arena. We weren't just confined to the wrestling way. We introduced cruiserweights. We introduced more reality-based programming. We had our show was live every week. The WWF was taped. And we forced them to change the way they presented the product. And they did it in a way that made it even more compelling. So it was all of those things combined. And much like, you know, I'm 64 years old. So when I hear certain music, it reminds me of when I was in high school. Yeah. It reminds me of when I was a kid growing up in Detroit. Or when I was in college. Or when my ch- children were first born. You, always, you hear music from your past that reminds you of some of the highlights of your life. And I think for a lot of people, that Monday Night War era was the highlight of their wrestling life. 
I would highly agree with that right there, Eric, and it definitely is for me, and I don't think it's ever been the same since. With that being said, Nitro is basically made to, you know, take out Raw. How does it make you feel, this is a big feather in your hat, that most people consider you to be the best general manager in WWE history? That's pretty crazy right there. Well, I mean, that's subjective. Everybody has different opinions, but I, you know, what worked for me as a character, number one, I was, it's hard to talk about yourself this way, but I, I was pretty good at what I did. Mm. I knew that, and I recognize it now. But even more than that, the natural history that I had with Vince McMahon and the WWE made it very easy for me because there was, there was 10 years of backstory that we were able to build upon both with my character and, like I said, with my relationship with the company. So it makes me feel good. I'm not going to lie. I smile when I hear it. That's a good thing. (laughs) I love that right there, Eric. It must have been super awkward going to the WWE, just thinking about it now after all that time with WCW. And, you know, basically you would have scared the hell out of Vince. You know, it really wasn't, though. I'll tell you why. You know, when when I left WCW, I left on a very negative note. Mm. I I tried to purchase the company. We got very close to closing that deal. They changed their mind at the last minute. My wrestling legacy, if you will, at that point in, in 2000 or 2001, did not end on a very happy note. And my wife is a very positive person, and she's trained me and taught me, mostly trained, (laughs) um, (laughs) to to be a very positive person, or try to be at least. And enough time had gone by. I had been out of wrestling. It was in my rearview mirror. I wasn't thinking about it anymore. And I left all of that resentment and all of that baggage. I left it in my past, and I didn't think about it anymore. And then when Vince called me and offered me a job, I realized in that moment that it was an opportunity for me to end my career on a high note. Yeah. I knew that if I went into the WWE as a character, because I was very confident in my abilities as a performer, I was very confident that the history that I had with the WWF would make it even easier for me than it would for anybody else. My character would be more interesting because everybody knew my history with with the company. So I I knew all of the conditions were right for me to be very successful and to have the opportunity to end my career on a positive note. And because of that, I felt like a kid at Christmas morning. Yeah, nice. No hesitation. I wasn't intimidated. I wasn't uncomfortable. I was just thoroughly excited. Oh, that's great right there. I've always been interested to know about that, Eric, and I wanted to switch things up. The in-between time, too, you did have a stint there with TNA. What, what was your thoughts on that? Is it a regrettable time, or did you you know, enjoy your time there? For the most part, it's very regrettable. Looking back, I wished I wouldn't have done it, with one or two exceptions. It was an opportunity for me to work with my son, and for my son to get an opportunity to work in the wrestling business, which is something that was a goal of his as a young boy and a teenager growing up. He'd always fantasized about having the opportunity to work in the wrestling business with his father. And being in TNA gave me that opportunity to provide to him. And I'll be forever grateful for that because that, you know, is a memory that my son and I share to this day that is very special to both of us. And I'll never, ever minimize that. But other than that, eh, eh. I appreciate the honesty right there, Eric. And I I guess this sort of brings me to the next question. Wrestling as a business, you know, there's lots of grudges and holding beef and all that sort of thing. How have you sort of been able to ignore the politics and just go about doing your own thing? 
I haven't always been able to ignore the politics. There's been times throughout my career that I've become a victim of it, or there are times in my career when, unfortunately, I made choices that made politics even worse. Mm. So it may look like I've been able to stay away from the politics of wrestling. And to be really clear, it's impossible to not be affected by the politics in wrestling, one way or the other. It's just like it's impossible to not be affected by politics in our day-to-day life. You hear about it, you become emotional about it one way or the other, you're affected by it because of, you know, the manifestation of policies and politicians. So it's no different in wrestling. I've tried my best to stay away from it. I try my best to recognize it when it's happening because wrestling politics, and this is probably true in any big business where careers are at stake and and lots of money is at stake. You know, people become very aggressive, defensive, not necessarily always honest about the way they conduct themselves. It's just not, I guess it's human nature, unfortunately. And it's, it, I've tried really hard to recognize how politics was affecting me or decisions that were being affected by politics. I try to stay away from it, but it's almost impossible. Well, that's crazy right there, because from an outsider looking in, it looks like you've just always sort of, you know, cool, calm, collected, and one of those guys that, you know, it doesn't sort of let anything affect you. Yeah, well, looks are deceiving. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eric, well, what could you see yourself doing if you weren't involved in the wrestling business? Oh, boy, that's a great question, but it's one I, I, possibly, I can't possibly answer. I've always been an entrepreneur. Even at this moment, I've got three or four projects that I'm juggling simultaneously. I've, I've never been a person that can focus on one thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. Sometimes that's been a very big benefit to me in my life, and sometimes it's a detriment. So it's hard for me to say. You know, I, I love to fly airplanes. I was a pilot for a long time. I had my own airplane for quite a while. I loved flying. I, at one point, I wanted to be a lawyer, and I, I thought, you know, lawyers get paid to argue. I like to argue, therefore, <laughs> I should be a lawyer. <laughs> I like it. So, it's hard for me to say what I'd be doing. Well, yeah, that would be cool right there if you, you were a lawyer. I hear what you're saying, Eric. And you mentioned, you know, you are an entrepreneur, and you've got a few projects on the go at the moment. You've got a massive workload. Do you still find time out to get into your jiu-jitsu and your other interests, like riding bikes and, and that sort of thing? Well, I haven't been involved in martial arts in many, 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 many years. <laughs> well, I think that back. There was this bar fight I got into about two years ago. Oh, do tell. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm not involved in martial arts anymore, and I haven't been for a long time. But I do love the outdoors. I live in an area of the United States. I live right outside of Yellowstone National Park in the middle of Wyoming because I love the outdoors. I love them. I love the mountains. I like to fish. I like to hike. I like to hunt. I spend a lot of time hiking with my dog. Up until recently, I had a bunch of horses. I just sold them recently because I'm traveling so much. I, I don't have time to take care of them the way they should be taken care of. So between horseback riding and hunting and fishing and just enjoying the outdoors and the mountains, that's what I do for recreation. But And I, I, you know, I make time for it. I'm at a stage in my life where, let's face it, the clock is ticking and it's not going to be ticking forever. So I try to get as much out of life as I possibly can. It's a good outlook to have, Eric. And I was going to say, when you were just sort of listing off all those great things, hopefully you get a little bit of spare time while you're here in Australia to check out the countryside. Do you think that'll be a possibility? I would hope so. I mean, you know, I'm looking at my travel probably by the end of this week, and I would love to have a couple extra days to... And, and you know, I don't, I don't do normal tourist things. 
I like to go to small towns. I like to eat in small little family-owned restaurants. I like to just talk to people away from the big tourist areas. Because oftentimes, when you go to a tourist area, you're talking to other tourists. And I don't really want to talk to other tourists. I want to <laughs> talk to the natives and the, you know, the people who are from the, from the area and get to know the culture. So that's what I'm hoping to do that. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. And being a big lover of the outdoors, we've got some amazing stuff down here that you'd love to check out, I'm sure, man. But we'll switch things up to the live show. What can fans expect? What are we going to delve into on this one? You know, when people ask that question, I, I try to summarize it by saying there's really two things that I try to achieve when I do a live show. One is it's got to be fun. You know, wrestling is inherently funny. The, the characters, you know, involved in the wrestling business, myself included, Vince McMahon included, Bruce Pritchard, we're all characters. We're all big personalities. And then you combine that with the wrestlers and the characters in the ring and out of the ring. The stories that we have to tell are inherently funny, like ridiculous funny. Yeah. And there's plenty of stories that I haven't talked about on the podcast that we're really going to get into. And people will be laughing their asses off for the most part. But the other part that makes my show so unique is I can peel back the curtain and I can talk about the business of the wrestling business in a way that no one else can, other than maybe Vince McMahon. And people that are really hardcore wrestling fans that really love the product or love the Monday Night Wars are going to learn things and hear things and be exposed to things that they've never heard before. So I, I think it's kind of like, I hate to say education, but it's very interactive, it's very informative, and it's very funny. Oh, sounds like fun education there, Eric. Yeah, just hearing you say that has me extra hyped up for it. Very much looking forward to it. Just before we go, do you have any recommendations you could give the listeners? What would you recommend they do or check out? It could be a movie, a book, or anything like that. Horseback riding, I guess. Well, I'll tell you what they can be looking forward to, hopefully down the road. I don't know if you've read this or not or heard about it, but I'm involved in producing a movie. It's Hulk Hogan's life story. Chris Hemsworth. Oh, I did see that. Playing, yeah, is going to be playing Hulk Hogan, and I'm working with you know a, a great director and a, a great writer, and you know. So what I recommend is to keep an eye out. So when that movie comes out, you can all check it out. Oh, most definitely, man. If only I had more time, I'd really get on your case about that. But super appreciate. You're taking time out, Eric, and very much looking forward to this tour. It goes down in June at the Factory Theatre in Sydney on the 21st, Brisbane on the 22nd at the Foundry, and wrapping things up at Melbourne at the Thornbury Theatre. Tickets are on sale now. DestroyAllLines.com. Be sure to check out 83 Weeks on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all slash 83 Weeks, and Twitter.com slash eBischoff for all the latest on Eric Bischoff. Thank you so much for joining us, Eric. Really appreciate it. It was a brilliant show. Thank you very much for the invitation. I appreciate it, and I can't wait to meet you guys in person. How? What? It's the Underground.